Welcome on into the show. My name is Danny Gallagher, and I am joined, as always, by the snare campaign provocateur, the backbeat of a new generation. It's Benny Horowitz. What's up, dude? Hi, Danny. How's it going? How are you? Oh, I'm doing so good. How are you today? Oh, I'm great. Thanks. Everything is fine. I'm alive. Uh, my wife's walking out the door. I didn't close the door. Oh, she's going to uh, close it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, we're all good here, man. What's going on in, in the JC? Oh, man, dude. It's getting weird but, and not in a good way. Uh, but yeah, man, it's, you know, it, it, it's staying strong. There's a, there's a lot more uh, uh, beards and uh, what are, are those glasses, like the clear glasses? I, I don't know what you oh, call yeah. those. I, I've seen those around. And what yeah. kind of what kind of beards are hipsters doing these days? Because I know, oh, like it the, hasn't evolved. I know, like the January six people get made fun of for yeah. their neck beards. Are are we not? Are like hipsters not allowed to wear neck beards? I think I think that entire culture hasn't evolved in like ten to fifteen years. But uh, beard culture, yeah, yeah, hasn't evolved. It's just a lot of waxes still. People thinking that they look like black thought, but they don't. <laughs> like both people white and of of, yes, of other races yes, thinking yes. that they have that beard. Yes. It's just a great a style. It's a great <laughs> style though. The roots, they ah. kick it right. They look cool. But yeah, man. Yeah, back and forth from the studio. It's getting mm-hmm. to the home stretch, the gaslight record. I love I'm, it. Uh feeling really confident about it now. Um you asked me a month ago, I wouldn't have known what to tell you. Yeah. And now now I'm feeling good. At the very least, bare minimum, I can say now that I like it. Yeah. And, you know, the uh, public opinion be damned. I think it's pretty good. So we'll see how it goes. You know, I love and uh, the more that we've gotten to do this, the more, you know, we and we have gotten to know each other. I know when you're like really going through it creatively, radio silence, LeBron, zero dark 30 the entire time. The more you start to talk about it, the more you're like, I like this. It's true. It's true. I mean, it's general (laughs) excitement, you know, like, um, yeah, yeah. It's 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 funny. It's like sometimes in my position, like, you know, a lot of the time I'm I'm just I'm a dad, you know, I'm a normal person. I'm sweeping and I'm shoveling and I'm, you know, cleaning stuff and trying to help people with like math. And it's like, you know, uh, I think you can bring creativity to those things, but it's obviously not when you're using it, you know, and and you forget sometimes like how fueled by this process I actually am, you know, and like what happens to me and my mind and my body and my spirituality when I'm not creating Mm. something, you know, it's, it's a problem for me. Um, and that the older I get, like being able to pinpoint that and highlight it and giving it to yourself when you need it, you know, um, expectations or not is important, you know? And like, that's why I'm happy to like put out the town liar record and you know, I haven't been pushing it. I haven't been doing that, but I love those songs. Yeah. Good and thing. it, and it fulfilled me to work on them and, and they sound good and I'm happy they're out there. So it's like, um, yeah, it, it's an interesting balance, I guess, like on a, on a personal level, trying to navigate the day to day. Like when you're not like, you feel so fulfilled when you are creating, but you can't do it every second of every day. Like yeah. you'd just be a madman. So it's an interesting balance, but it's funny that you notice the the difference. <laughs> it's like it's like the high that you get. It's like that's so unsustainable that it's almost like when you're hiking and there's like a, a vista that you can look out. Right. You can only stop and stay there for a couple of minutes, and and then you got to keep moving. But yeah, and you just pinpointed the whole other sociological disaster, which is 
what musicians and artists and creative people do to fill those voids when yeah. they don't have it, which is the dangerous thing. So, but that's a whole nother podcast, isn't it? Well, you know what? I think they actually do to fill that void. Probably listen to the tune up in this day in music history. You got it. <laughs> Worst segue of all time. What do you got? I, I like it. Well, since we're like the who owns everybody's shit podcast. Yeah. <laughs> This day in 1960, I didn't know this, Frank Sinatra launches the first fully artist-owned label, Reprise Records. So he owned his own masters. Some of his cohorts, Dean Martin, Rosemary Clooney, joined the label, but they only had it for three years and sold it to Warner Brothers in 63. And after that, it became the home to, you know, Jimi Hendrix, Joni Mitchell, Green Day eventually, like all sorts of bands. But, uh... You know, so obviously he he sold out fairly quickly and took the check. Kind of sounds like an ABA NBA kind of thing. Where, <laughs> you know, Frank was like, "Fuck this, I'm doing my own shit," but not with the idea of like really starting anything different. He, I think he maybe was just eyeing the eventual paycheck. It sounds like, yeah. but um, but interesting that Frank was the first guy to kind of pinpoint this, especially in an era where this was probably really difficult. And if you weren't Frank Sinatra and someone with that kind of backing. Yeah. And money <laughs> backing, backing. Yeah. Um, like you, you, you know, there's so few artists that probably could have even begun to start to pull this off. And when I hear about it, you know, shit, 60 some odd years later, it, it impresses me. I like that. It sounds kind of punk rock. Thanks, Frank. Good job. Further proof that Jay-Z has modeled his entire career off of trying to be Frank Sinatra. You know, right. he may have started to hit his own label. And then uh, Jay-Z comes along with, you know, like uh, Rock Nation and then Tidal. So a bunch of these incremental investments to try to get the bag. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, that's it, man. That's, that's the way it's going these days. <laughs> uh, welcome to capitalism. Ever heard of it? All right, Benny. <laughs> On this day in 2008, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers performed the halftime show of the Super Bowl oh, yeah, at yeah. University of Phoenix Stadium. They played American Girl, Won't Back Down, Free Fallen, Running Down a Dream. Uh, we know how that night ended, but, but what we don't know is how uh, 15 years to that fateful night, at that same stadium, they'll play host to a Rihanna concert and I guess also a football game. Yeah, I uh, I remember this performance. Yeah, I mean, it was always, you know, the halftime show is tricky business, yeah. as we know. Not everybody pulls it off. And especially when you're like a rock band trying to play in full. But this is one of those times where you just took, is there a place you could have put Tom Petty in his band that he didn't sound good? No. No. Like, really, no. Like, these are just fucking pros, pros. The songs are awesome. They're like, you know, uh, you, do, do you think at the time and like, oh, wait, where, you know, Petty wasn't having as much like mainstream commercial success. Do you think there was a lot of people in America who knew American Girl and didn't know who sang it? 100%. There was, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy to think that that he was he was that level. But I, I think it's true. So I love that halftime show. You know what? I'm always here for Rihanna too. Yeah. Like, like 100%. We Benny. know that's going to be yeah. good. Ever since I heard Rihanna cleans her own house, yeah. she's been cool with me. <laughs> you know the thing about like this petty stuff though is I feel like that was you know, we we were still in an America where at least like culturally like you could throw out like the Rolling Stones, Petty, 
on like the Super Bowl and most people would love it. And this was right around the rise of the internet. I mm. think if you threw out like say say Twitter and all that stuff comes along like three years earlier and there's a, a larger voice of less people online. So like less people's voices were more amplified. I think that that whole change uh, comes a, a little bit sooner. And it's really sad because these are like classic American. Uh, it, it, it was when the bottom line and touring revenue, they're like, oh, this person has the highest grossing tour. Right. Let's just put them Super Bowl halftime. And now it's completely different. And who in the NFL at that time was listening to Petty on the regular? Not sure a lot. But it, I, that is an interesting thing you bring up because the next year was when Bruce played. Yeah. In 09. Mm-hmm. So and, you know, we haven't seen too many of those like classic rock type people filling yeah. those shoes since then. So I think you might be on something. Who would be the next one? Because you know, last year I feel like they had the opportunity, like maybe like the Chili Peppers to be like they seem to do more. Like last year was about Southern California and that whole scene. So I don't know, Phoenix. Who's some? You know, some... like you got to think about songs. Yeah, like American Girl, that that you know, um, that got bigger than the band. You know, mm. like songs that took on their own life where. Uh, people could walk on stage and they won't know the artist, but the second they start playing the song, they'll know the song. Um, And you know who immediately came to mind? I hate to give him this credit. Coldplay? Yeah. You know, like fucking stadium rock band. You know, they look ridiculous, but the second they start playing, everybody in the world knows those damn songs. They're familiar. They're in everything. So I don't know. My vibe might be for the Coldplay now. This is a interesting question. Kind of bring it back to Rihanna. Does Rihanna have any songs that are bigger than her name? It's like Disturbia was like a pretty big song, but I feel like she's she's a billionaire because of her makeup. Well, this is where I'm going to go ahead and 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 duck out of the conversation. You okay. know why? Because I'm a 42 year old man <laughs> who doesn't listen to to contemporary yeah. pop music that's on the yeah. radio and on TikTok. And I haven't been for the entirety of Rihanna's career. So to me, yes, her name is far bigger than any song. I think Umbrella is the only one I can rock off the top of my head. Um, But I think that is probably at least equally responsible in the fact that I'm an old Jewish guy. Yeah. You know, and it's it's not for me. Like, like, Hmm. uh, you know, you know what I listened to all last week again? Sweet Exorcist by Curtis Mayfield. Oh, there we go. You know, like I'm like a halftime show near you. Like I'm I'm into the the, yeah. the post heroin jazz soul <laughs> thing in the early seventies right now. Like I don't know what the fuck's going on. Yeah. Sorry, you yeah. know. <laughs> oh man, what's that song that she has? It's like Sex in the Air. I like the smell of it. I I, I think that one's bigger than Rihanna. I like the lyrics. <laughs> All right. All right, Benny. Let's move on. Well, speaking, you know, kind of leading into it perfectly, Benny, the Rock Hall has announced their 2023 nominees and they're paying tribute to artists across a wide range of musical genres. Uh, man, th- this is the funniest one. I'll, I'll, I'll name the rest of them. Kate Bush, after the year that she had with Stranger Things, gets the Rock Hall nom. Like, we need a little transparency here. If you weren't going to put Kate Bush in before this show, come on. Fair anyway, point. Fair point. Um, the list, and she should be in there. You know how I feel about the female singer-songwriter. I'm, I'm all for it. But uh, the list includes Kate Bush, Sheryl Crow, Missy Elliott, Iron Maiden, Joy Division, New Order, Cindy Lauper, 
George Michael, Willie Nelson, Rage Against the Machines, Soundgarden, The Spinners, and A Tribe Called Quest. Also, uh, The White Stripes in there as well. You know, they can't put everybody in this year. Benny, you know, who gets snubbed from this list? Well, I I appreciate your Kate Bush argument here. Um, because, you know, like, it was almost comical to me. I respect Kate Bush, and I don't want to yeah. make it sound like I don't. I think she's a, a fine artist. Mm-hmm. But I grew up with Kate Bush as like, oh, my mom likes her, and people who go to, like, the Renaissance Fair like her. <laughs> You know, like like that was the the genre, the subgenre, and I mm-hmm. think it kept pretty much that way until about a year and a half ago. So, I, you there's a fair point to be made in what you're saying there. Now, I have a case for Tribe Called Quest here. Oh, I know they've already failed once. Now, I think Tribe Called Quest are being punished for being revolutionary at this point. Now, I did a little research on it, and what are some of the top hip hop songs of 1991? when Tribe Called Quest's, like, most famous record comes out. OPP, Naughty by Nature, DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince with Summertime. This is when, like, uh, Ice Cube broke off from NWA. NWA was doing their own thing. Public Enemy was on the way down. And it was before, you know, that next era started kicking up, especially with the West Coast stuff. So for a band who I think or a group who I think completely revolutionized hip hop in so many ways, the production style lyrically, what, uh, what Q-tip was doing with, with record samples and stuff and what was going on in New York at the time. I think it completely brought this genre from one section to another and cemented a certain type of hip hop. You know, this is when branches started. And now after 50 years of this stuff, hip hop's all over the map. You know what I mean? Like, like it's like rock now where, you know, you have old hip hop guys, you know, saying Nas Illmatic will always be the best and hate Drake. You know, like we're at that point now where it's the same dumb conversations we used to have with rock and roll are happening now with hip hop. And I think it's important to recognize the era Tribe Called Quest was in and how revolutionary they were at the time. Um, and to me, they're a fucking shoe in to get it. Yeah, no, 100%, like, just ditto everything that you just said about Tribe Called Quest. So I'm thinking, like, this entire list is not going to get in, and it all, you know, we're going to do the NBA All-Star stuff in a little bit. It's like if 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 you're taking somebody in, you got to take somebody out as well. So I think here, I think we get, you know, I, I think Kate Bush is going to have to face the Legends Committee if we're talking about, like, the Baseball Hall of Fame in, like, a few years. We're going to have to let this thing simmer down. But... I think Shell Crow, first ballot Hall of Famer, Missy Elliott, Iron Maiden, yeah, they gotta be in there. Gotta be um, in. See, the Joy Division New Order thing, I don't know where that this is gonna come down. I, I think they may have to wait a little bit. So you're well, asking the wrong guy on that one. To me, yeah. that's a shoe in too, because of again, like they'll probably get in then. Like I know for sure with a hundred percent that my music doesn't sound like my music without joy division and new order. Like yeah. that is how big those bands were and how big those uh, movements were in rock. I mean, you bring up why, why is Missy Elliott just a lock? It was, well, that wasn't she... like such a huge career. Like how long did it last? Missy or is that more for producer credits and stuff? I think, I think she's got a lot of those. And cause you know what it is. I, I, I think she represents kind of that, what was the Super Bowl that really like brought her back? Do you what, remember like she... they brought her out with like Eminem? 
yeah and like that whole thing and ever since then she's it's been super duper flowers. fly yeah. yeah that's true um, it's 15 15 when katie perry brought her out yeah yeah so i think you know what you're seeing with this is it's very much the court of public opinion if if you bring missy elliott on the ballot in 2014 not sure that this is the same conversation um let's see cindy lopper I mean, girls just want to have fun. Song that's bigger than, than and again, her. somebody who wrote a ton of songs for yeah. other people. George Michael, hundred percent. Uh, Willie Nelson in Rage Against the Machine has to be in Soundgarden, hundred percent. Man, that that's gonna be sad that we don't have Chris Cornell here for yeah. Soundgarden going in. Yeah. Um, be nice to see Matt Cameron get in again. Probably be his second time. Yeah. I think that's cool. White stripes. Do they have to wait? Yeah, like let's give him a couple years. Yeah, like okay. that's where I'm hearing this list, you know, and it's like, okay, Iron Maiden's not in yet. Yeah. Get Eddie in the hall. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, just surely for design, you know, you get to fucking put Eddie in there now. Some giant statue of Eddie. Like yeah. that's reason enough to get him in there. Yeah. Yeah. I think some of the rooks, those are the people who I think, you know, just like the regular Hall of Fame. Yeah. They they got they got a couple years to wait. You know, they don't get 75% of the vote. I'm not trying to put Scott Rowland in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame here. Oh, well. You know, <laughs> Jesus Christ. This is the last two Hall of Famers, Fred McGriff and Scott Rowland. Yeah, that's hey, what we're dealing with. I watch 90s and 2000s baseball, <laughs> and I got to tell you guys, fine. Not good enough. <laughs> not good enough. I'm sorry. Oh, we got to start if ripping Don Mattingly's again. not in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Get these Scott. motherfuckers out of here. Crazy. This has been baseball. Um, all right, <laughs> Benny. Next headline today. Uh, we're going to talk about someone who I think down the road is going to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and that's Lizzo. And now she has legal documents that oh, back yeah. up that that match her DNA Jeez. results from her test. Uh, so according to U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, um, the Grammy winner, age thirty-four, has succeeded in registering a hundred percent that bitch from her famous song as a federal trademark. So no matter so when when you're trying to print your 100% that bitch t-shirt you got to pay Lizzo a little something going forward yeah. giving her exclusive rights for the truth hurts lyric for her apparel. All right, Benny. Obviously we're cool with this. Love this. That 100% that bitch should have been the name of this podcast. But is there anything from your career that you'd love to have a trademark for to put on t-shirts and whatnot? Always this is complicated, okay? Yeah. There's a lot here and when I hear the story and Lizzo had a co-writer on the song, it was potentially a phrase someone said before her. The co-writer claims that they were the ones who came up with it. Lizzo clearly popularized it, brought it to a different level and made it an actual thing thing. So as far as like who came up with it and who deserves a trademark, I don't know. But the one thing I'm sure about is if Lizzo wasn't the one going after this trademark, someone else would have went after yeah. the trademark, probably gotten it, and none of the people who wrote it were going to get money from it. So when I see an artist do something like this, I don't necessarily think it's cool, but I understand it because it's like, I did say that shit. I put it in a song. I made everybody know it. And why am I going to let like, you know, jj hedge fund blah 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 <laughs> scoop this up and fucking you know and they're the ones getting paid on it so 
I think it's fine and I think it's cool and it's obviously a fun phrase. I don't think I could rock the shirt. But um <laughs> there's nothing necessarily I would have wanted trademarked, especially for the fact that like um, you know, I don't think it would have made any money. But <laughs> like the idea that things can get taken from me, dude, I'm a fucking drummer. I've been getting my ideas lifted and claimed as other people's since the beginning of my career. That's just how being a drummer works. Like you think you're inside of a band. Every idea you come up with is basically co-opted by someone else, or at least the credit is given to them. Fuck, I came up with the name Mercy you, and then I got kicked out of the fucking band. You think I've got any money for that? <laughs> like, so it's like these weird things that that you know always sit there. And like if you went ahead and you know, put the receipts for all of them, you'd probably spend your entire life counting receipts. So I'm just going to keep making shit and, and hoping something nice comes back to me. <laughs> I feel like we got to change up everybody, love everybody just a little bit so that like, I don't know, like how you do it so that you can get the credit, put it on, on a t-shirt and off the Everybody road. loves somebody. We got to change it a little Ooh, everybody loves somebody. I, I like that. Yeah. Oh, man. This is a, a complete non sequitur, but I got to ask this when it, it, it comes to music. Uh, you know, we've talked a bunch on this show about how, like, other countries fund the arts and stuff like that. And what I'm learning in, in all these classes with, like, film is there's so many tax credits for, mm. you know, to bring these, like, films and everything like that. And the way that you can, like, leverage that to get money for your stuff. Yeah. Why does stuff like this not a- exist in like music outside of the fact that a movie is a mi- multi-million dollar business that you're bringing to a state and a, a-, a record is not that big in scale? Uh, oh, oh, you're saying why isn't the, you know, they're like funding and stuff for things like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. So like why like isn't there like a New Jersey music commission that like helps people that are trying to put together their records? I mean, good question. Um, I think, you know, a lot of the places you see do stuff like that are places that lean towards a more, you know, liberal progressive kind of ideal. And the countries that really take care of artists, especially the ones I know are Canada, you know, basically all of Scandinavia, France, you know, these are the places where if you are from that country and you decide to be an artist, you're going to get help to be an artist. And if you stay in Canada and you, release your music through those labels and stuff like that, there's benefits for it. So, you know, I don't know if just, you know, America being the size it is, is one of the reasons it happens. I'm sure state to state, county to county, there's probably some wonderful programs to help people play music for a living. I've seen some firsthand, you know? Um, So it does exist, but on that national scale, I mean, I think you're asking a bigger question about American governance, you yeah. know what I mean? Which is like, why don't we have this? Well, we don't have a lot of shit. Yeah. And it's, you know, and like, we'll probably get universal health care before, you know, musicians yeah. start to get paid to make records <laughs> or it's, neither. Because it, it's so crazy. Like you can shoot a movie in like Montreal and like the South of France and get like 75% of your budget from like Canada and France and like in like a pack that they have. It's right. absolutely wild. But, um, you know, it, it, it just crazy to see because like, you know, you see like a bunch of like almost like music incubators at like the shore and between like Asbury and like Red Bank. And, you know, what the result has been, I mean, you've got um, at, at least my age, you've got like uh, 
like a couple pop stars. You got like your Charlie Puths, your like Fletcher's all coming from like Monmouth County. So I don't mm-hmm. know if, if, if places want stuff like that, maybe, maybe invest a little bit in your people. Yeah. I mean, I think what you said kind of nails it on the head. The only things that currently exist for the most part are people who made money in music, yeah. bringing their own money back to places to help, you know? So I do think it exists, but like way less on a, you know, no one's writing laws for this. Let's yeah, say that. Yeah, and I think right. COVID really highlighted the fact that we are, uh, you know, not, not doing the best for people who decide to follow the arts in this country. Yeah. Well, that was a complete non sequitur. And let's move on to our, our, uh, our MO. We got some hoops action. Benny, the all-stars are set. Oh yeah. Uh, the 14 reserves for the 2023 all-star game was announced on Thursday. Um, and they joined the player pool for Team LeBron and Team Giannis. Um, sadly, we're not going to get to see James Harden pick last because the fans <laughs> were like, oh, we don't even want you there yeah, at all. We're good on that. <laughs> but uh, let's move down the Western Conference, see who yeah. our reserves are. So we have Paul George of the Clippers, Shea Gilgis, Alexander, OKC Thunder. Love him getting in. Uh, this one surprised a lot of people. Jaron Jackson Jr. of the Memphis Grizzlies got in. Damian Lillard of the Trailblazers, Larry Markin and Utah Jazz, John Morant of the Memphis Grizzlies, and DeMontis Sabonis of the Kings. Um, biggest snub here for a lot of people was De'Aaron Fox, myself included. I I, I thought him over Jaron Jackson. Um, if Fox is coming in, who'd you send home? I think, and this sounds crazy to say, if, if, if you hadn't been watching much this year, I think you keep Fox and you send uh-huh. home Paul George. Yeah, I think so too. Um, that's actually exactly the move I would have made yeah. for this team. Um, especially with the up and down nature of the Clippers, uh, a lot of games, you know, Paul George, he doesn't take games off, but there's been a number of games this year where he has not been the most important part of that team on the way to a win. And has there been many games this year where De'Aaron Fox hasn't been one of the more important parts of his team to win? Um, also I think one thing not taking into account is Aaron Fox has some like really incredible fourth quarter numbers this year. <laughs> he is fucking putting games away by himself. Um, and that should, that should count, you know, like, like w- w- what is all this statistical stuff? If it's not going towards winning, the Kings have been shit forever. They're third in the conference. And I think this really, as we spoke about before, it came from, Oh, what? Two Kings. Yeah. We can't have two <laughs> Kings. What are you crazy? So I think they literally like, just picked between Sabonis and Fox. I think that's almost what happened. Yeah. And that's, that's really crazy to me because like, I don't think Memphis for what they talk about and for as much hype as they get now to have two guys in, I mean, granted, like, I guess if, you know, the Warriors were struggling and you would have had two Warriors in, in, in the past, but like, Maybe like get to NBA finals first before you get two guys. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, fair, fair, you know, but, but I just, I just don't know if Paul George was the one, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. like you know, did, uh, you know, did Anthony Edwards deserve it instead? Did, you mm. know, there's, there's a bunch of people who, who I think are having comparable years to Paul George, especially with the Clippers record, you know, like if the Clippers were 10 games above 500 and Kawhi was taking every other game off. Sure. Yeah. Paul George, you're the man. Like you don't have a point guard. You're doing this by yourself. Good for you, you know, but it's just not the case. So I didn't think it was right. Um, the other, okay, let's get to the Jaron Jackson jr. Of Mm -hmm. it all then. Um, you know, statistically 
awesome, but has this season is the statistical impact on his stat sheet is that the same as his impact on the team this season or is this just like hey this guy fantasy awesome ton of blocks ton of assists and stuff like that so do you think this levels out i do i think the grizzlies semi fall apart without this guy mm. and i think you know ja obviously is like gets the credit and yeah. especially with you know them making a run without him at one point would do that but you see the way this team plays now is Jaron Jackson like, is this just the modern NBA where like, you know, our typical counting stats aren't really working for Jaron Jackson, especially offensively. Right. Yeah. But his plus minus stats is, you know, all the other advanced analytic type stuff about his impact on the floor when he's on the floor, which is probably the reason why he's in there. And, you know, I think in some ways we need to start, you know, the same way, uh, baseball pushed wins above replacement and, you know, like, you know, certain other stats. I think there's a couple stats. The NBA really needs to start putting in their normal lexicon besides for the normal stuff, you know, besides for plus minus, which is a little, who knows, you know? Um, and, and I think that's a little bit what happened with Jaron Jackson. Uh, any, and the home cooking on those blocks. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I've been angling to try to get him in our league for a long time, but I don't think that that's going to be a move that's going to happen. No, but uh, any OK, so in, in, in the Western Conference, give me a few replacement players. I, I don't think Zion's going to play in the All-Star game and we're probably going to a few of these guys probably won't ever actually make it to Utah. Yeah. Um, potential Western Conference replace, replacement players. Well, I mean, I think I said to De'Aaron Fox yeah. should should be right there um, mm-hmm. if he's not you know, the person doing it. And then I would say probably Anthony Edwards is close. And he might be the next one for me. Um, Just because like, uh, what's going on with that team (laughs) this year without it? You know, and that's again, this is where my head always goes to when I'm choosing all-stars and stuff like this is what does that team look like without that player? Yeah. What are the Kings doing without De'Aaron Fox? What are, you know, the Timberwolves doing without Edwards? But we're kind of leaving out maybe the biggest guy. Anthony Davis, without the injuries, is an all-star starter. You know, so the fact that he's healthy, playing, being impactful on the team, has enough games, and is also, he's the fucking unibrow. He's in Space Jam 2. Like, he's probably going to wind up getting the nod over anyone just because of that, you know? Yeah, and Lakers... And deservably so or not, I don't know. But that's where I would love the NBA to start just giving us a game's fucking threshold, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, it's like, like, you like, have to play. Yeah. When am I allowed to vote this guy an all-star? 27 games yeah. he has to play? 28? Like, just give me the threshold, and then this will all be fixed, you know? What about Aaron Gordon? Yeah, I mean, you've west leading team i always think that like the team that's atop of the conference should have two players that's why that that was kind of my logic on oh jaron jackson i like i think that they're mm. in like third right now so it's like yeah aaron gordon Jokic, lock it in yeah i mean he could easily make a case for him yeah so all right that's that's a western conference we're going to move to the eastern conference now uh eastern conference reserves my guy bam Adebayo, uh jalen brown of the boston celtics demar Derozan, chicago bulls joel Embiid, a guy that should have been a starter got some you know just a pure numbers game there 
of the Philadelphia 76ers, Tyrese Halliburton of the Indiana Pacers, uh, Drew Holiday. I thought that was kind of a, a surprising move to get into the All-Star game from my Milwaukee Bucks. And the biggest surprise of it all, Julius Randle, All-Star again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the I don't know if you noticed this, Benny, but I did not mention a name. No mm-hmm. James Harden, despite averaging right. 21.4 points, 6.4 rebounds, and uh, what should be a, a league-best 11 assists per game. Uh, I got to ask this question, and I asked it a couple weeks ago. Is this an indictment on Philadelphia? It's got to be, right? Yeah, Philadelphia and him. Yeah. You know, like, uh, he's made it the last 10 years. Yeah. He hasn't been an all-star since the Thunder. Um, And, you know, I think in some ways because of, like, the drama with the Nets and how dysfunctional that fucking team has been for a couple years, I think some people sort of glossed over James Harden's antics. And everybody kind of has quickly forgotten that he fucking ate his way off two teams in a year. (laughs) You know? Like people are pissed at this guy because he's he, like, he's shown time and time again, when he just gives up on something, he's done. Yeah. And I'm like, just waiting for him to hit the cheesesteaks in Philly when something goes <laughs> wrong too. So it's like, that's part of it to me is like, I don't know, bro. You did this to yourself a little bit. Like, yeah. like people don't like you right now. And that's the reason. Yeah. So, eh. and to me, if you're, you know, if you were going to put other people on this list, I don't even think it would be hard. Yeah. It started with him, you know, flying private to the Bahamas between Rockets games. And then I can't like the way that he ate his way last season. I mean, just a unbelievable stretch here. I've never been more sure that a guy is going to blow up weight wise after his career. You know, sometimes you see these like guys and it's like 10 years after their career and like super fat. And you're like, what the hell happened? James Harden, 100%. Yeah, it's like the reverse offensive lineman retirement <laughs> thing. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so if we want to put Harden on this list, who are we taking off? Drew? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think so. That's probably the most obvious one. And um, who'd you mention before that I think is someone you could have taken off? But I mean, I like Randall in here. Yeah. And I think he deserves it. I mean, like, like try to think about the Knicks without this guy. But one of the other guards that you could have made a case for is Jalen Brunson. Yeah. To me, there's one player who kind of gets glossed over a lot. And I don't know if because he's not a flashy guy because of his team for a number of reasons. But I mean, does anyone watch Pascal Siakam play basketball Mm. like every day? Like this is might be the most consistent contributor all the time on a team like in the league, he's, he's so overlooked that I, I think, you know, part of this is like name recognition and stuff like that. And like drew holiday is a big name in this league. He just yeah. won some, just won some titles. He's with Giannis. It's got the whole thing. Um, so, I mean, but Drew's probably on there cause of, of his defensive stuff. Right. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I, I can't I make imagine. a case for him on the offense. I would say Randall, I'd say Brunson should have gotten in if yeah. Julius Randle didn't. I can't justify two Knicks on this. But I'd say the next in line to me with Siakam. Yeah, I'd go Siakam and then I'd, I'd go Jalen Brunson. And that makes a lot more sense to me than, listen, you know, I, I love Drew Holiday. That stretch where Giannis was out, he kept the Bucks afloat there. But, you know, I mean, the, what Jalen Brunson has meant to the Knicks 
Way more important than Julius Randle. Yeah, I mean, even watch a game like last night. Like, yeah. I'm looking at the box score last night, and I see Giannis, you know, <laughs> a very, very efficient fucking 55 or whatever the hell he put up last night. I don't think anyone on the team scored over, like, 14. Yeah. You know, it's 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 like giving someone on the Mavs a nod or something. <laughs> like, like, it's just, how can you, you know? And we're going to get to Giannis and, and his, because, you know, a lot of Kareem history in the offering. Kareem seems to be a guy who is in the NBA conversation right now. Uh, it all started with winning time, and he just seems to be manifesting himself upon the culture, which is cool to see. Um, but, we, Benny, last night we had a fight. Oh, yeah, so big speak, fight. So big to fight. speak. Yeah, all right. The way the ESPN notification said it was like massive brawl. I was like, oh, did like a melee at the palace happen? No, no, it wasn't that. Not even a punch throw. Yeah, no. Yeah. A a ball tap, maybe. But uh, all right, things got heated. Clarkson's quicker to get going (laughs) than him. Yeah. Things got heated quickly on Thursday night in Cleveland. Uh, By the time things settled, settled, Donovan Mitchell and Dylan Brooks were ejected um, in the middle of the Cavaliers 128-113 win over the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, midway through the third quarter at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse, Brooks had a layup blocked at the rim, and as he rolled over to the ground, just a little... Well, uh, a little, ha- little, little how's your father? <laughs> little how's your father, which caused Reggie Miller to say, oh, that wasn't, on, that, that wasn't anything. An all-time NBA, oh, that wasn't anything player turn broadcaster <laughs> exactly all of it all yeah, of yeah, it yeah, yeah. um but Tell then this, next man. this prompted donovan mitchell to just chuck the ball at dylan brooks um which on first viewing you're like what the fuck donovan mitchell but then you're like oh guy got hit in the nads yeah um no, clear response so they both got e- ejected more impressively was the uh, Grizzlies assistant who came over and just threw a haymaker on Dylan Brooks to make sure he wouldn't do anything else. So Dude, I love just, that. just a shit show all around in Cleveland. What did you make of it? Uh, well, I think we, we caught like the tail end of a long running thing. You know, Mitchell was on the jazz most of the years. Mm-hmm. And I think the last few years he's had quite a few head to head matchups with Dylan Brooks. They play the same position and, you know, so this is obviously not a first time incident. Mitchell made that clear after the game where he was saying, you know, this is this guy being this guy and we expect it and I've seen it before. So obviously some shit has happened with these guys in the past. And I think Mitchell, who is usually a pretty collected cat, you know, let's give him credit for his historical precedence. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, usually not the type of guy to do something like this. And uh I think it was a very fair reaction to what happened um, in in this case. Like, you know, I I always hate seeing it, but in that moment, it was obviously, uh, to me, there was obvious intent with what Dylan Brooks did, and you have the right to to protect yourself. And and speaking of historical precedents, I think it goes the other way, where, you know, people know who Dylan Brooks is at this point. Uh, He's hurt people before, and I think, the, the league has a bit of a target for him and kind of rightly so at this point. So I think that's why it started. Now let's talk about this guy breaking up the fight. <laughs> to me, this seemed like uh, the coaching staff seems so ready for it. Almost as if I think they've been coached, you know, like, like it looked like they've run drills, like fighting drills on like how to pour off the bench and start a fight. Cause it was fast. And that kid, or that man who got in there and just bear hugged Dylan Brooks to the ground to keep him separated from everyone. 
I mean, I fucking loved it. I think it's so funny watching that shit. And the fact that I think this is the like 10 years after fallout of not being able to leave the bench for a fight. <laughs> you know, maybe it's one of the reasons people have like seven assistant coaches now on their fucking benches. It's just for fight breakup. But uh, yeah, it seemed almost as if these guys have been drilled at practice to get in the middle of it if they could. I'm going to take that a step further. I think that this was practice for later in the season. Perfect execution. He falls to the ground almost by out of bounds so that he could roll there, hit the nad, roll out of bounds. You have your guy come in there. You know, Donovan Mitchell may have gotten ejected tonight, but they're eyeing for somebody bigger in, in, in the playoffs that they can take Whoa. out. Imagine if this happens to Steph Curry. Oh, I can't wait. Oh, so you think this is this practice. is like practice. game. Wow. Not a game. Not a game. Wow. That's interesting. You better save this tape if it happens again. You, you <laughs> I don't want to be right in this because my paycheck is in the NBA. But, um, just, all right. Uh, well, we talked about Giannis and he, boy, he had another 50 point outing. Uh, just a big night in, in the association last night. We're going to try to get to as much of it as possible. The Bucks came down from 21 down at home to beat the Clippers 106-105. Giannis went for 54 in the win. His 54 points were the second highest scoring total of his, his career. Just one shy of the 55 he put up against the Wizards on January 3rd. Uh, coming into the season, Giannis had just three 50-point outings uh, in nine years. In the month of January, he has three in the last month. So just mm. crazy. Uh, the only other player in Bucks franchise history to have as many 50-point games in one season is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So, Benny, is Giannis making his MVP case heard? It's getting, getting hard to ignore. Yeah, of course. Of course. And I think one of the cool things about Giannis is, like, do we have to make a difference between perimeter players getting 50 and inside players getting 50? Mm. Like, like, you know, I feel like the way Giannis gets 50 is a very efficient, grueling for him kind of 50. And the nights when like Steph Curry gets 50 or somebody like that gets 50, it's because they got really hot from three and hit nine that night or something crazy. You know, not always, but I'm just saying there's is there a delineation like is a 50 point performance from like an Embiid or a Giannis more impressive than a perimeter player? Uh, I think it's less Im impressive because oh. of the physical, like, I think it takes, oh, uh, well, I don't know. Cause then that's discrediting footwork. I'm not sure. I'll Interesting. Interesting thing. Right. I, mean, yeah. I think we got to think about yeah. that now that we're seeing so many 50 point games. <clears throat> do we have to start delineating between what kind of 50 point games? Yeah. But no, I think it's making the MVP case a clear, you know, thing between what is it now? We got. Jokic, Giannis, Luka, and B. Mm. These are only four people you could even potentially vote for at this point, right? Yeah. Um, so it's getting slim, slimmer and slimmer. But all these teams are atop a, a the West and the East, you know, except exception of, of Luka. And uh, and I think we have a lot more 50-point games to come from, from what it seems this season. So, But I do think it's, it's cementing Giannis in this spot, especially with the Bucs holding tight at number two there in the East. I mean, they've been so consistent right there the whole season. So yeah, Giannis is, is for sure making his case, especially with how efficiently he's doing it. Yeah. I'm going to change my answer. I think getting to the paint and getting 50 that way, because a, you need way more attempts. Um, I think his footwork and, and the way that he is able to get some of these buckets, it's like, 
an unnatural hand movement. And I don't know if Giannis is doing yoga or something like that, but the way, the way he's able to be out of bounds and like, kind of like caress the ball, like unbelievable. Cause as you were saying that I'm thinking Steph Curry, 50 points, like, you know, what's going to happen, right? Giannis 50 points is going through like three people. Yeah. And that's the thing with Giannis too, is like, you know, and I think that's why he uh, almost always gets Shaq comparisons. It's because you know exactly what's coming. Yeah. And you just can't stop it. Yeah. Like, you know, that's the thing. The other guys can still trick you. Yeah. They still got these weird, you know, Giannis is just like, I can go left. I go right. Uh, I can get into the paint from half court in like four fucking steps and try to stop me. Yeah. And now I can shoot free throws. So you can't foul me that much either. And it's, I don't know. It is, it is really impressive. I love watching Giannis work. Uh, but the, the conversation between him and Jokic, it's interesting because I think that Jokic does more to make the rest of his team better, which I don't know what you define value as. Uh, I think if you like, like the game last night where they're down 21, I'm not sure that Jokic can aid a 21 point comeback against the Clippers as compared to like Giannis just goes full force there. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think at this point, if Jokic finishes the season where he's at right now, right. Which is 25 points a game on 63% shooting 82% from the line. He's averaging 11 boards, 10 assists, one and a half steals a game with 35 double doubles. 17 triple doubles for a big man. Yeah. Like if Jokic finishes with over 10 assists, he's, am I not mistaken? The first player since Oscar Robertson and Russell Westbrook to finish the season, averaging a triple double. Yeah. And And that matters. Yeah. We gave one to Westbrook. Yeah. Who maybe, or maybe did not deserve it that year. Mm -hmm. And we were like, come on, he averaged a triple double. If he averages a triple double, Nuggets are sitting at top of the West. Doesn't yeah. look like they're slowing down. They're already a few games up. Yeah. Like, I don't know. How the fuck do you take it away from this guy? Yeah. You know? Hard, hard to argue. But then I think like this would be like the last one unless they win a, a championship. His future MVPs are completely de- uh, going to be determined by whether they can get it done like this year, which is going to be a, a, a tough task for them. I mean, even something simply like we look at the other scores in the league, you know, Jokic averages 15 shots a game. Luca averages 22.3. Yeah. Giannis yeah. is averages 21, you know, LeBron 23. Like, you know, it's just the it's the double thing. It's like it's like everybody's, you know, so impressed with he's doing both. He's doing it on the floor and doing it statistically. So it's like it's starting to get hard to make a case against it, you know. 100%. Well, you mentioned LeBron James, and I'm so happy that you did because LeBron is now 63 points away from passing Kareem to become the NBA's all-time leading scorer. James finished with 26 points, 7 rebounds, and 7 assists and fueled a Lakers to another frantic big victory, this time erasing a 14-point deficit against the Pacers. They got the 112-111 victory. That one was crazy down the stretch. Um, they are at the Pelicans tomorrow. They host... Uh, OKC on the seventh, and they host the Bucks on the ninth. And Benny, this makes me very sad. But the NBA scriptwriters are at it again. He's gonna break Kareem's record in a Lakers Bucks game, isn't he? Yeah, I think he has to at this point. Like, like, and if he does, like, yeah, it's gonna. Because is that a TV game? It's gotta be a yeah, TV game, TNT. right? Yeah, I would be shocked. <laughs> 
absolutely shocked if he didn't break it that game. But what does he need? 53 points? 63. 63. Yeah, 20 a game? 100% easy. that's the way it's going to go down. And At Staples? We've, or... we've talked about it a lot of times. LeBron James, you know? Guy knows what he's doing. He missed yeah. the Knicks game, so he's pacing himself for the Bucks game. He knows exactly what he's doing. He wants doing. to do it at home with Kareem to, sitting to in lose, the front. You know, to lose yeah. badly. Yeah, yeah potentially. Yeah, to lose badly. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. But, I mean, what are we going to do with the Lakers here? Hmm. What's going on? Well, tied we have for, a, yeah. tied with OKC. They're they're still a, a game out of the play-in, two and a half games out of the top six. Not that much, you know. Like I think the thing saving the Lakers right now is the middle of the West being so average. Like the only thing, like if the Lakers were in the East right now with twenty five games, like. They're actually in the play-in in the East, but you don't think they could get through it. And I do wonder, like, the fact that you're seeing these teams like Clippers, Timberwolves, Jazz, Pelicans, all these teams, you know, Blazers, all these teams kind of having a lot of problems are the teams ahead of the Lakers, I think is one of the reasons we're still seeing them, like, really wet the whistle thinking they can get through and get get something done in the last month. Yeah, you know, um, and that's why I think the Lakers may still like have a have a nice trade in there for him. Well, oh my gosh, you're just teeing me up today. Well, the reports coming out from our, our guy Chris Haynes is that the conversation between Utah and the Lakers it's back on. You mm-hmm. know, it's it's like NBA cuffing season because you know it was that their summertime fling, and now you're getting closer to Valentine's Day, and they just want to canoodle. A little bit. You know, it's cold in Utah. This is Danny Ainge doing the Danny Ainge. He wanted um, too much six months ago. He wants too much now. And someone is finally getting to the point where they're like, I guess we got to give up too much to get what we want. He's, Baby, he's, it's not you. It's me. He's doing the Ainge. I got to appreciate it at this point. You know, what a fucking stick in the mud. Yeah. People must hate him. <laughs> they must fucking hate him. Oh. He's really good at his job. But I bet there's 30 other GMs were like, Jesus fucking Christ with this guy, you know? <laughs> but the conversation this time around is heated up regarding Russell Westbrook, who has been impressive in, in the Lakers stretch here of late. Uh, the Lakers are said to be in communication with most teams, though, as they sit through a reasonable way. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of looking at this Utah thing. Um, the Lakers gave up their picks to try to go get Rui, and that's pretty good. You know, he went for 19 and 9 the other night. I just don't see. You know, they they give up Russ. What do they get back? Like Jordan Clarkson and like Jared Vanderbilt? I mean, sure. If you're the Lakers, you don't do that? No, no, no. Off Russ? Why, why, why would Utah do that? Jazz do that. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, they do it for, for those coveted first-round picks. Like, that's, that's what they're looking for. There's nobody the Lakers are going to give back that actually helps the Jazz. Yeah. You know? So, I think it's obviously for the Jazz, like, strictly contractual anything that comes back. Um, But, you know, here's what I wonder too. You are Danny Ainge. You're still selling tickets. The Jazz are, you know, tied for the seven seed, a half game out of the six seed. And you're really going to tell your fans, these rabid fucking Utah fans right now, like, hey, I'm dropping like three rotational pieces and you're going to watch Russell Westbrook for the rest of the year. This, you know, this great team that's gelling and doing this, like, where does marketing go when he's on the floor? Like, 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 why do we think at any stage that Russell Westbrook is going to get traded 
and be the kind of piece you can sneak in and make it. You can't. So the only thing that that's the thing that stops me from from making this deal is like Utah's fun this year and and they're a good team. And and if something isn't coming back, that's actually going to nourish this team for the rest of the way and next season. I don't think they're doing it, man. So the idea that they're just going to take on deadweight contracts at this point doesn't make a lot of sense to me in some ways. It makes sense for the Lakers, of course. Yeah. But, you know, I think the Jazz, in order to do something like this, are really going to have to get like both picks. And I think you're only getting one player, you know, like like that's how desperate these teams are. And I, I don't think that the Lakers, so the Lakers gave up their their two second round picks in that deal. I don't know when their next picks are like, like, oh, are you really going to like going into the 2030s yeah. at this point? Yeah, that's what I'm right. saying. And, you know, I think. You know, obviously, I don't have any insider information on this, but it really seems as if when LeBron decided to sign that extension that like maybe there was kind of a backroom conversation about like, hey, like if I'm doing this, you got to be fucking in the next couple of years like yeah. or else I'm not going to do it. You know, like why does LeBron out of nowhere, the guy who very, very smartly did one in one contracts for almost his entire, you know, post Miami career. Why does he all of a sudden do that and give him no flexibility right at the end? Yeah. I don't know. I think it might, it might have something to do with it. And that's why I think the Lakers don't want to give up those picks, but still might have to. I'm excited for this deal when Russ is like traded to Toronto for Bronny so that Bronny can play for the Lakers. <laughs> like that whole thing happens, but I don't know. And I think I think the haul from and I think Utah coming back is probably gonna be like more Malik Beasley, you know, yeah. maybe Sexton, like guys like that rather than Clarkson. I think Clarkson might be might be staying out of it. Yeah, hundred percent. A couple other deals before we get out of the door that we just want to talk about boy benny you want to talk about a team that has a lot of problems the hawks have reportedly lowered the price for collins on uh, the jazz and the rockets are interested a bunch of teams also calling the atlanta hawks for the services of bogdan bogdanovich um, but john collins is reportedly according to sam amick the guy who's most likely to be traded how do, how, how do we get here it seems like they had a lot of pieces and now they're just selling it for parts i don't think they are I think this is like one of the, I think Atlanta thinks they're pretty good. Yeah. And I think Atlanta is going to try with this group. Like they haven't had them together a lot. You literally put Trey Young and DeJounte Murray together, like an experiment takes a little while, but when this team has all these pieces around, they're still pretty fucking good yeah. sometimes. And, and there's some nights where I look at the Hawks and I'm like, why aren't the Hawks, you know, as good as the Knicks, the heat. You know, mm. like like they're somewhere around there on those nights. And then there's another night where you're like, Jesus Christ, Hawks should blow it up. But I think those eye tests you see every once in a while are going to make the Hawks stay put. And I think John Collins value in the trade rumor market is far lower than it is in the trade market. Yeah. Still a really fucking good player, you know, and 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 he does a lot of different things and he's dynamic and. Atlanta misuses him a lot and he doesn't get a lot of shots, but I, I don't think like the actual league is as low on this guy as right. people talking about him are, yeah. you know? So I actually think the Hawks stay put. I just don't know where they'd find a, a, a deal for him because, you know, they're going to want a lot more than I think 
the most GMs would feel comfortable putting out for John. Yeah. I mean, Hawks to me are the classic team. Don't don't freak out. Yeah, that they're the classic team. Don't freak out. What I see on this team is like improving pieces and a team that can keep getting better while staying good. Yeah, you know, like I see DeAndre Hunter get better and better, mm-hmm. better offensive player than he was last year. Uh, a Kongwu, the more and more time he gets, interesting player, good looking player. AJ Griffin. Might be one of the steals of this draft, how lady went, because he's a nice looking player. And, you know, Bogdanovich has barely played all year. Um, and now he's finally in the mix, like kind of cementing that bench. I think the Hawks stay put. I think this is a classic case of, you know, a few years ago, they make that deep playoff run and that changed the entire timeline For in sure. the mind of their Push fans. Push the timeline up react. too fast. Yeah. yeah. 100%. Yeah. All right. Last deal we got uh, Toronto Raptors remain an interesting team. As we approach the deadline, according to Sports Nets, Michael Grange, uh, nobody knows what the Raptors are going to do, but the general consensus is that they're not going to keep Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Fleet and OG long term. Uh, Van Fleet has outplayed his $22.8 million contract. Um, Chris Haynes also reporting that Ananobi would like a change of scenery, adding that there is a uh, bidding war happening. Uh, Memphis doesn't want New Orleans to get OG. New Orleans does want Memphis to get OG. So uh, I didn't think his value was going to be this high on the market, but yet here we are. Yeah, I mean, uh, scoring 3 and D, guys. <laughs> Shit. Like, look at <laughs> look at the kind of balls Ja Crowder has right now for some reason. You know, like, um, these guys are really valuable in the NBA right now, and every team needs one. How badly the Lakers need a guy like this, you know? Yeah. Um, and Toronto, of course, is in that position. I mean, there's seven games under 500. They're uh, literally, what, two and a half games above the Orlando Magic currently. So, I mean, Toronto, like, if you start thinking a certain way, still got all these interesting pieces on your team, and you can slip into the top five of the draft right now. Yeah. You know, and you're already kind of close to being there. Like, you know, this is where the fans, this is almost the exact opposite of, you know, what I'm saying about Utah is like Toronto fans are smart basketball fans. There's seven games below 500. They're two games out of the 10 seed, you know, like, like, and, and almost what, six games out of the six seed. Do you see this team making a kind of run to be like impactful moving forward? I don't. Mm. And I think their fans are smart. And I think Toronto right now is the most logical shoe to drop. And OG has, by f- I don't think they're going to get rid of Siakam. So I think. OG has the highest value by far. And a lot of teams make a lot of sense. So to me, that seems like the most logical domino to, to, to fall in this whole thing. The chess match in negotiations between David Griffin and Masai Ujiri is going to be like an all timer because these are two guys who always get the better of the deals. Right. And to see them try to play us out is going to be phenomenal. I think, and part of it might be where people value Fred Van Vliet these days. Yeah. You know, like, um, I think there are still teams in the league who see Van Vliet as a very, very huge asset and some teams that see him as a probably overpaid, undersized point guard, um, especially who needs a new deal coming up. So I think Van Vliet's a lot sketchier of a proposal than than OG is. 100%. All right. Well, we want to hear your fake trades, trade proposals, headlines coming up on on the 9th. Hit us in the chat. Hit us on the TuneUp social platforms. TuneUp HQ on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Instagram. Uh, TuneUp HQ, YouTube, subscribe. Shout out to the chat. Neil, we see you. Neil uh, saying, Bron Bron made a call and got got some bodies. I don't know what that means. Um, 
But uh, yeah, if you want to follow Big Man on Instagram, he is at Benny Horowitz. I am at Denny Gallagher. Benny, got anything else? Uh, everybody loves somebody? <laughs> the t-shirt coming soon. Tuneup.com. The show has ended. Go in peace. You have been listening to and watching the tune-up. <laughs>